0: Sixth grade and under to come sit on the front row wrong way I lost them I lost one all right sixth grade and under come sit on the front row I'm going to try something new it may be a flop the kids may hate it and we may not do it again but I can remember as a seven-year-old kid I went to church with my grandma and grandpa and the pastor used to do little church and so on our first Sunday, as we, um, as we have our kids all in church, I want to just spend a couple minutes making sure that they understand the main premise of the message. And so I hope that this will serve as the illustration for you guys to springboard off of also. But I know with my daughters, I get one point. I get to keep, they, they're going to remember one thing. And so I want to give them the one that I really want them to remember. And so you guys, I actually have some treats for you and um, i'm pretty excited about these treats so romans chapter 8 is a cool verse cool chapter of the bible and we're actually starting in romans 7 there's more conversations going on what are we looking for you don't need it you're okay romans chapter 7 paul talks about how he loves jesus he talks about fish no he doesn't talk about fish he talks about how he loves jesus but he always does bad stuff. In fact, he says, the stuff I want to do, I don't do. And the stuff I do want to do, I... Wait, wait, wait. The stuff I want to do, I don't do. And the stuff I don't want to do, that's the stuff I end up doing. And he says, my, uh, my flesh wars with my inner man or my spirit or the part that communes with God. So, I thought, you know what? I want to talk to you guys this morning about just a really easy task, Okay. And so I want all of you guys, come here, stand, everybody stand right up here, one single file line, I've got a job for you. If you can complete this successfully, I have, wait, face, here, everybody behind Mariah, she's, she's a brave soul, she'll go first, and she doesn't get to talk, so there we go, face forward, there we go. All right, get behind Mariah, yeah, good, good. All right, so it's an easy task, all right, church, and we're going to cheer them on. All I want you to do is you're going to jump as hard as you can jump. Fly around the church just a couple times. Uh, just flap your wings. You, these, these are your wings. Just flap your wings as hard as you can. Fly that. around and then come land back here. Uh-huh. All right, ready? All right, Mariah's first. Let's go, Mariah. Go. <laughs> okay, all right, she tried. She tried really hard. Do you think you can do it? Wait, anybody in line? Do any of you think you can do it? No. Nobody can do it? Okay, let's sit down. All right, so let's rethink this. Everybody come sit down. Now, why would I ask you to do something that you can't do? Is that fair? Now, here's the thing Paul tells us. Paul says that God called us to live a holy life and to live like Jesus lived. But you know what Paul knew the whole time? He couldn't really do it. Now, let me ask you. here's Here's the trick. What if I created a miniature airplane That you could take off from the stage and just fly around. I I would even probably control it because I don't trust you in the church. But if I could put you in a big drone, how many of you, if if I put you in a mini airplane, you think you could fly around the church then? No. In in an airplane you can't? You've flown in an airplane. You could do that. Maybe not in the church. But you could even fly all the way to Japan, which was what you were talking about all day yesterday. (laughs) She wants to fly to Japan. Oh, I shouldn't have said it. (laughs) The airplane is fast. Exactly. And so the airplane could you fly to japan forget about around the room you could fly anywhere you wanted to fly right but wait once you get up there so so here's challenge number three let's say that i said I, i just wanted to make it really fair so we took you up in an airplane as high as we could get you super super high then we opened the door and said all right you fly the rest of the way why not why can't you fly the rest of the way you're already up there and you're high enough In a tiny airplane. You're just going to have a tiny airplane in your pocket. Okay. So here's the thing. Could you fly around the room? It's impossible. But if you had an airplane, you could, couldn't you? Do you know Paul said to live like Christ lived? You know what? It's impossible. We can't do it. But you know what he gave us? He gave us an airplane. He says, your vessel is Jesus. You know, you guys have sung a song before. With Jesus as my vessel... I can smile at the storm, right? Why, why can you smile at the storm if you're inside of Jesus? Because you're flying in a big airplane. Exactly right. And so Jesus is your airplane. So Miss Leah has a couple things she's going to give you. So I want you guys to line this way as you go back to your seats. And she's going to give you an airplane picture with Jesus on the side that I want you to color while I'm preaching if I get boring. So if I see you coloring hard, I know that I've got to be more exciting. And then second, she's got a um, blow pop for all you guys. So once you get your paper, you get your crayons and your blow pop, you guys can go sit back with your parents, okay? So this morning, just as I was telling the kids, Paul is telling us throughout Romans 8 to do something that we are not equipped to do. And and the funny thing is, as Christians, here's how we see it. We know that we can't save ourselves, right? We understand that there's nothing within us that can remove our sins. We understand that. But for some reason, we seem to think that once we get at cruising altitude, all right, Jesus has saved us from our sin, we've accepted him as Savior, now we can figure it out on our own. Isn't that, the, isn't that the way we think as Christians? Now that I've been saved, now I just have to be really good. Now I have to try really hard. And so as we look at Romans chapter 8, we're going to be looking at this theme. And this series is all based on this thought, that God is bigger. That God is bigger. And so today we're going to jump into the thought that God is bigger than your sin. God is bigger than your sin. And so this whole chapter, all through Romans chapter 8, we're showed over and over and over again how that God is bigger than our circumstances, God is bigger than our enemies, God is bigger than anything that we'll face. But first and foremost, what Paul tells us here is that God is bigger than... our sin now I have to tell you I kind of stole this idea for this I, I didn't steal the sermons but I stole the idea for this series when I was sitting back here while I was standing and the boys were giving their testimony last week from camp I don't remember if you remember it but I think Ezra was the one that said I learned that God is bigger now this was a theme throughout camp the pastor said over and over again that we can serve God because he's bigger than anything else in our life And I thought, man, what a great thought, not only for our teenagers, not only for today, but for the rest of our lives, if we will really understand that God is bigger. So we're going to jump into Romans chapter 8, and I'm going to jump backwards just in a minute, but we'll start with chapter 8, verses 1 through (laughs) 4. The Bible says this, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you catch the airplane analogy there? He says there is no condemnation. In other words, you are not guilty if you are in Christ Jesus. It doesn't say if you know Christ Jesus or if you like Christ Jesus or if you believe in Christ Jesus. He says there's no condemnation if you are in Christ Jesus. Or in other words, if you're fully resting in Him and what He did on the cross. Sometimes we simplify it to the point where we say, well, just say a prayer and and say that you really like Jesus and you're going to be saved. But really what salvation is, is me putting all of myself into Christ because I'm inadequate, but he is adequate. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. He goes on in verse two, he says, for the law, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death for what the law could not do weak as it was through the flesh. God did sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but walk according to the Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, we love You. God, I thank You so much for all of the work that You did on the cross, God. Not only did You forgive our sins and give us a chance uh, to, to live free from sin, but You, Lord, gave us salvation salvation. You gave us a way to heaven. God, you gave us a model to live our lives after. God, you gave us the strength and power to live every day. And I pray that you would help us to stay in you as we walk day to day. Bless your word today, Lord. Help it to be very clear. Help it to be useful and help us to just uh, meditate on it throughout our week this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I just want to give you three quick points today. But before I jump in, I actually want to read um, Romans chapter 7. And the reason I want to do that, if you look at Romans 8, the first word there is therefore. So I had a great Bible teacher one time teach me this. If you see the word therefore, you've got to go figure out what it's there for. Okay? Or in other words, if you see therefore, something preceding this caused the therefore. Does that make sense? So he says therefore because the last thought he did that he just gave you leads into what he says. So this is important because he says therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So you would think, in human thinking, we would think, okay, well therefore, maybe he says, you guys have been really good this month, therefore there's no condemnation in those, to those who are in Christ Jesus. Or maybe we would think, well, you know, maybe they just rebuilt the tabernacle or something crazy like that and they really just accomplished a lot. And because of, what that, because of that, now Paul tells them that therefore there's no condemnation to those that love God but if we look back that's not the story that we find at all and I want to look at chapter 7 verse 21 down through the end of the chapter listen to this he says I find then the principle that evil is present in me the one who wants to do good now I want you to remember we're talking about the apostle Paul right his ministry was almost uh, basically throughout scripture Peter and Paul their two ministries were really unparalleled in anybody else that served God. They just reached so many and they were such an impact. In fact, for the last eight weeks, we've been talking about writings that Paul wrote all through 1 Corinthians, all of Romans, all of that was Paul writing these books. And so Paul says here, he says, listen, he says, I find in myself, right? He's the the pastor, he's the preacher. He says, I find in myself that evil is present in me. Even as he's preaching, he says, as he goes on, he says, the one who wants to do good for I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. Now, I want, you to, I want to think about this. Can you relate to what Paul just said? He said, I joyfully concur. In other words, I agree with what God's telling me in my inner man. But he goes on and he says this. We look at verse number 23. He says, But I see a different law in the members of my body. So he says, I joyfully agree. I concur with what God is saying. I agree with what God says. In my heart, I believe it. I'm 100% behind it. But he says, my hands don't seem to be on the same page. My feet don't seem to be on the same page. Here's the hard one for a lot of us. My mouth doesn't seem to be on the same page. And it fights. It wars against my inner man. He says, my outer man wars against my inner man. This is Paul that's talking. He goes on in verse number 24. No, actually, the second part of 23 says, Waging war the, uh, against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I find myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other, with my flesh, The law of sin this is what he says right before he says therefore there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ do you catch how impactful and important it is what Paul's teaching us here he says listen I keep sinning even though I don't want to but I want you to know that even though I sin there's no condemnation as long as I'm in Christ here's what he's saying you're not going to be perfect it ain't going to happen Not here on earth, you're not going to rid yourself of this sinful body. You're bound to it. You're going to continue to sin. But what he says is if you'll remain in Christ, if you've accepted Christ and now you live in Christ, you're not guilty anymore. That's what he says. And so that's what I want to talk about this morning, is is how that happened. I want to look at the, the nuts and bolts of what that means in our lives. So the first thing I want us to look at this morning is that Jesus gives a new liberty. That Jesus gives a new liberty. And so we look here that we have to understand, like I just said it a moment ago, the inner man wars against the flesh. The inner man, or in other words, what, the, the part of me that communicates with God, my spirit, who I am in Christ, is constantly at tension with who I am on the outside. With what I do. With the sin that I am uh, tempted with. With the sin that I commit. It's constantly at war with who I am inside. And that's natural. In fact, I used to tell teenagers all the time that if you have a sin that tempts you, that makes you the majority. Everybody has sin that tempts them. You're in the majority. But I would tell them that if you struggle with that sin, or in other words, you war against that sin, you're now in the minority. And here's what the key is. There should be a healthy tension. You should feel the war between your inner man and your outer man. You say, why should I feel that war? Because if you don't feel that war, the outer man is winning. It's as simple as that. If you don't feel that war going on, if you're not at conflict with yourself, if you're not constantly fighting against the temptation of sin, it probably means that you're either callous to the sin or that you're just happily committing the sin. And the reality is that we are called to war against that sin. Now, you say, okay, so that means what you're telling me is to try harder, to do better, to be better. You know what the crazy thing is? Sin and the law are in your life to remind you of one thing. That you are woefully inadequate without Jesus Christ. And so when your reaction to sin is, I'm going to try harder, I'm going to do better, I'm going to better myself. Do you know who else had that reaction to sin? Judas. We see how that resulted. Judas sinned, and he went out and he decided, I'm going to handle this myself. And do you know what he ended up doing? is He took his own life because of the guilt from his sin. I'm going to tell you something. Do you know that uh, I, I heard a, a statistic about three or four years ago, so this has probably actually increased since then, <clears throat> that over 80% of suicides occur after an immoral act. Or in other words, I'm ashamed of what I did, and I can't look myself in the mirror because I can't be better, I can't do better. You know what's really liberating is when we realize that we can't be better, we can't do better, that our sin is a reminder that we should run to Jesus Christ. You know, and I've used this example before, but Judas turned to himself, but Peter in that same moment turned to Christ. If you think about the story of Jesus' crucifixion, Judas betrays Christ with a kiss on the cheek, and then goes and takes his own life because of the guilt for what he did. Peter denies Christ verbally three times. And the last two times with such adamacy that he's cussing at these little girls as they're coming. Like, you know Jesus? And he's cussing them out. Like, no, I don't know the guy. He's denying him too. The only difference in those two was that when Judas sinned, he looked to self. And when Peter sinned, he looked to Jesus Christ. And when Peter sinned and looked at Jesus Christ, Jesus forgave him of that sin, and Jesus used him, and Jesus planted the church, basically, on the work of what Peter did, even after he betrayed Christ. Here's what I want you to understand. That you have a war within you. That the the inner man wars against the flesh. And it should war against the flesh. And the way that you start to win that war is by leaning more and more on Jesus Christ. The inner man wars against the flesh. The next thing I want us to understand is we look at Paul's, uh, Paul's example here <clears throat> is that just like Paul, in ourselves, we are wretched. He says, oh, wretched man that I am. Now, I know we don't typically use that. Maybe you, you've heard it in Shakespeare or in the Bible, um, and that's pretty much... The only times you may hear that word regularly used in conversation. So I want to spend just a couple minutes really explaining and elaborating on what he's saying. First, he says, is he's afflicted or in other words, attacked, right? There's constantly something coming against him. So he says, wretched man that I am, I am an attacked or afflicted man. I have enemies and difficulties coming against me. That's what he says. That's what he means when he says I'm wretched. He goes on further though. He says that he also, when we understand this word wretched, it's unhappy or unfortunate of poor quality, very bad. So here's what he says. I am an afflicted, unhappy, unfortunate of poor quality man. How many of you can relate to that? Let me tell you, you know, there was a time not too many years ago that I was facing family problems I was facing financial problems I was facing problems within the church that I was serving at and I can remember talking to my wife and saying I am just so bad at life and she said what do you mean I said there's no aspect of my life that's going the way that I think it's supposed to go there's no part of my life that's doing what it's supposed to do and listen I wish that it was more years ago than it was because it wasn't all that many years ago and the truth is for you if you look back you can relate to the same thing maybe it's not every aspect of life but as you continue to have the same failures or you continue to have the same frustrations satan sneaks in and says you're just really bad at this you should just give up you should just stop trying multiple times satan would come and say i don't know if you should be a pastor look at how bad you are at life like i don't know if you should be giving anybody advice because look at your own life and i used to think man maybe maybe that's true but I, can, I thank God for my dad, because in those moments I would call my dad, and my dad would say, that's all a lie, nobody's perfect, the same things that you're struggling with are the things that people are struggling with, and when you're open and honest about them, what people realize is that God can use you despite your imperfections. And in fact, I'll take that a step further. You are imperfectly made by a perfect creator who knew exactly how imperfect you would be. Okay, let me rephrase that again. Your flaws, your imperfections, your failures, your difficulties were all ordained by God to fulfill the purpose that he put you on earth to fulfill. That's pretty crazy to think if you really realize that where you are weak, where you have difficulties, the Bible says this, when I am weak, he is strong. In my weakness, he's made stronger. In other words, because I am a failure, he can be the victor. It's as simple as that. And so as we look here, Paul says, I am, and I want you to realize, he's saying, I am an unhappy, unfortunate, of poor quality, very bad man. We have like the mass exodus. I have one child left. I started with four. Three are gone. There will be conversations after church. Let me tell you. But the point is this. We are nothing on our own. And I'm sure that you've been there. Maybe you're there now and you say, I'm just struggling with life. I'm just not having the kind of success in my career. I'm not having the kind of success in my family. I'm not having the kind of success financially. I'm not having the kind of success uh, as, as a Christian that I feel that I should be having. And it can be frustrating. It can be difficult. But I want you to remember that it's not on you. Remember last week, well, not last week, but two weeks ago we talked about how if we boast in the Lord, no longer is our value in ourselves, but rather in the unchanging unconditional love of Jesus Christ. The same thing is true here. Paul is going to go on and tell us that. So he wants us to understand that we are wretched. That we are wretched just like him. Also, just like Paul, we need to understand in verse 24 and 25, I think it's really impactful what he says here. He says in verse 24, he says, Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Who will set me free? Just like Paul, we need to be set free. It's as simple as that. Just like Paul, we are wretched and we are of poor quality. We are afflicted. We are facing things all the time. And just like Paul, we need to be set free. And Paul goes on, he says that, that thanks be to Jesus Christ. I want you to understand that we, are, we need to be set free from a couple of things. Firstly, we are bound to this earthly body. So that war that we're going to face throughout the rest of our human lives is because we are bound to a body of flesh. We live, as Dave used to love to call it, in this earth suit. Let me tell you, the first time he said earth suit in church, I thought, what on earth is he talking about? But as he started to say it, it stuck in my head that this is the vehicle that we have as long as we're here on earth. It's as simple as that. We are in this body and bound to this body and it's tied to earth. And as long as we're bound to this body... This flesh is going to war against the inner man. That's what Paul says. That we're going to constantly have this war. We need to be set free from this earthly flesh. Next thing he says is that we need to be set free from... Uh, we need to be, understand that Jesus is our liberator. Jesus is our deliverer. He is our liberator. Here's what he says in verse number 25. Verse 24, he says that I am a wretched man. Who's going to set me free from this body of death? Verse 25, he says, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Here's what he's saying. My liberator, my deliverer, who's going to set me free from this body of death is Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God, who through Jesus Christ our Lord intends to set us free. Now here's the thing. We aren't set free from this earthly body or this flesh until we go to heaven. So don't get in a hurry about that. You know, we we can live with the flesh and war against the flesh, But the sin that drives us, we've been set free from that already. And the only thing that we've got to do to claim that liberty is to completely keep our focus on Jesus Christ. Now here's the problem. How many, by raise of hands, how many of you on a daily basis, every day, without a moment missing it, are exactly in God's will, 100% right with God? I should put my hand down. I'm lying. I'll put my hand down. I shouldn't lie while I'm preaching. None of us are. None of us Every day, in every way, live the way that God calls us to live. None of us keep our faith fully in him every day. In fact, we're so bad about, my wife makes fun of me because, uh, if you don't know, Leah is our church secretary, and so she'll be doing things in the office, and she'll ask me a question, something simple like, when is this meeting, or when is this and I'll go in there to go and look at the paper. I'm a visual person, so that's my excuse. I've got to see it on paper, and then I'll know how to change it. Before long, I'm reaching down and taking the mouse. She's like, I just need you to tell me the date. And I'm like, here, I'll just put it in here. Before long, I'm like, here, get up. Let me sit down. Let me fix this. And then 45 minutes later, I have reworked half of the bulletin. And she's going, I didn't ask you to do this. Why are you doing this? How many of you do the same thing with your life? Christ has taken our sin. Christ has taken our burden. Christ has taken and liberated us. But we say this, all right, God. But but you're you're in my life. I really want you to just change this just a little bit, God. You really you you, you don't want me to be around this person, or or you ask me to stop doing this thing. But I really just kind of I want to step back in here and take a little bit more control. And as soon as we hand control over to God, we're already in the process of taking it back. We hand our burden to God. And we say, okay, well I'll just take that back now, if you don't mind. I, 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 here's, here's my sin, and here's what I'm struggling with, and I know you're in control, but I really don't want anybody to see that, so I want you to take it here so I can hide it behind me, and no one will see my sin, and I'll keep on a happy face, and I'll hide it behind my mask. Oh, God, I want you to take my pain, but, but please give it here. I don't want anybody to see that I'm in pain. I don't want to see anybody to see that I'm struggling. God, please give me what I need, but I don't want anybody to see who I really am. And so it becomes more important for us to keep on our mask and to keep up appearances than it is to allow Christ to change what He wants to change. It's more important for us to do the things that we want to do than to hand it over to God and let him have it. Listen, He's liberated us from that sin. He's set us free from the flesh, but we've got to stop taking it back. We've got to continue to lean on Him. If you want to know, how can I grow closer to Christ, here's the answer: Lean more on him. Read your Bible. Pray, keep your focus on Him. Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him. And that acknowledge doesn't mean just tipping the hat to God. It means I'm sending my whole life through you. In all your ways, I'm filtering my life through you, Jesus Christ. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He'll direct your paths. Here's what he says. You want to live a life that looks like what Christ wants your life to look like? It's got to go through Christ. Simple as that don't try harder, don't be better, focus on Jesus Christ. And so we continue to struggle with the flesh, but we are no longer condemned if we are in Jesus Christ. That's what he says here. So he's our deliverer, he's our liberator, we're going to still struggle with things, but as long as we're struggling with the flesh and we're leaning on Jesus, there's no condemnation. Now, some of you may be getting a little confused there. Your day-to-day life, the way that you walk, the things that you're going to have victory in and see victory in is dependent on whether you're leaning on Christ or not. But your salvation, your eternal state with God is made at a one decision. That one moment when you accept Christ as your Savior, you are now set free from the condemnation of sin. Or in other words, I no longer have to face the guilt of what I did because Jesus Christ came and took that sin away. But as we live that out in a day-to-day life, even though we've been forgiven of that sin, we can sometimes choose to still struggle with it. And so when you're in that moment that you're still choosing to struggle with that sin, when you're still choosing to live in that sin, when you're allowing that sin to enslave you, the key to remember is this. I don't have to try harder. (coughs) I don't have to do better. I need to lean on Jesus Christ. That's what your sin should remind you of. And so here we understand that Paul... Um, tells us that we continue to struggle in the flesh but no longer are we condemned if we are in Christ Jesus. Second thing I want you to understand from this passage is that God, uh, Jesus gives a new law. So he gives us a new liberty but not only does he give us liberty from what we once faced he now gave us a new law and I think that the, the, the phraseology that Paul uses here makes it so clear that we've gone from one regime to the other. Right. So Old Testament and and, and the people that Paul was speaking to here would have known that he was talking about Levitical law, that he was talking about uh, the biblical law, that if I follow these rules, then I'm right with God. but, But the reality was all along that following those laws was an outward manifestation of a faith in Jesus Christ. Salvation for eternity has always been about faith in Jesus Christ. Even when there was the law, the law was the mode that God allowed us to use to show that faith in him. Now, Paul tells us over and over again that the law is now a thermometer, or in other words, he says a gauge, or a schoolmaster, or a tutor. In other words, it tells you when you got something wrong so that you can go back to the master, who is Jesus Christ, and get it right. It's that simple. The law never fixed us. And here's how Paul phrases it. He says here that um, the law of Jesus' grace has replaced the law of sin and death. I want you to see in verse 2 how he refers to the law that they were living under. He says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. I want you to think about that. He calls the law the law of sin and death. And the law of sin and death, the idea is that I could never... Fulfill What I was trying to do right as kids a lot of us had uh, and maybe even as adults. There's people in your lives that have a Standard or expectation for you. That's higher than you could ever fulfill Maybe some of you are on the other side of that where where I'll just tell you the truth I'll, I'll be transparent as a basketball coach I have a higher expectation for my daughters than they could physically ever fulfill, even if they were perfect. They couldn't do what I want them to do. And it comes from from the desire, and some of you as parents understand this, comes from the desire to look at them and say, I know how good you are. I know how good you can be. I just want to get the best out of you. But to them, it translates far too often as, it doesn't matter how many points I make. It doesn't matter how many things I do doesn't matter how many rebounds I get I'll never be good enough for my dad because he has a higher expectation than what he should and so I try to combat that if you've ever been to a basketball game I'm coaching I do better sometimes than others but I do try to combat that I do talk to my daughters about that but we all have those experiences where somebody had a very high expectation of us maybe it was sports maybe it was just day-to-day life And if you can think back to that time that somebody, maybe it was even a boss, that had such a high expectation that you should never fail, that you should never make a mistake, and as soon as you fell short of that mistake, did it draw you closer to that boss, or that parent, or that friend, or did it drive you away? Right, we kind of recoil in fear. I messed up, I don't want to be by you, I don't want to come close to you because I know I didn't live up to the standard you wanted me to live up to. Maybe it's even something that you start to have a standard for yourself. And we develop this this habit of self-hate, basically, because we we have a standard for ourselves, and as soon as we fall under what our standard is, or what we think we should be, we start to get angry with ourselves. We start to get frustrated with ourselves. We start to fall short of what we want to be. And and what the the Bible says is that the law of sin and death was weak because of flesh. Here's what he says. To fulfill the law of sin and death. To fulfill the the Levitical law, it relied on your human body. It relied on your skin, on your hands, on your feet to be able to fulfill that law. Remember when I had the kids up here and I said, just fly around, just fly around the room, just do it a couple times. I might as well should have been telling them, fulfill the law. Right? Same kind of thing. We have no ability. We have no way. There's no chance. In fact, the Bible tells us very clearly the only man that ever lived without breaking the law, the only man that ever lived without sin was Jesus Christ. And the reality is, if if we could do it, Jesus wouldn't have had to come and die. If it was possible, if it was an attainable goal, if it was a standard that we could live up to, that we could live up to the standard of God, the standard of Jesus Christ, Then God would be an unloving father to send his son to die for us if we could have saved ourselves. He would. There's no two ways about it. If he sent Jesus to die for us, even though we could have saved ourselves, that's a pretty hateful father. I'll tell you this. If you are in trouble that is self inflicted and want me to sacrifice my daughter, it ain't happening, right? And and you all feel the same way about your kids, your nieces, your nephews. It's not going to happen. But Jesus came and died on the cross for our sins because there was a standard we could never meet. There was a debt that we could never pay. There was a problem that we could never overcome. And that was changed by grace. Here's the, Bible, here's the definition of grace. The law of Jesus' grace is replaced as law of sin and death. But here's the definition of grace. The free and unmerited favor of God as manifested in the salvation of sinners and the bestowal of blessings. That's what the dictionary says about grace. Even the worldly, the the secular dictionary says this is what grace is. This is what grace is. It is the free and unmerited favor of God. In other words, I did nothing to deserve it. I'm not good enough to earn it. There's no way I should be getting this. But God gave it to me anyway. The free and unmerited favor of God and manifest it. In other words, here's how it's fleshed out. Here's how it's shown in life the salvation of sinners, and the bestowal of blessings. So now, as we look at this law of grace that we've been given, as we understand that we are no longer under the law of sin and death, but now we are under the law of Jesus' grace, Ephesians 2.8 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. I want you to understand that the law was weak because it relied on our flesh. Paul says it here this way. He says it in verse number uh, number 3. The Bible says this. says, For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. I want you to understand that never were we going to live up to the standard of God. In fact, the law was there to remind us that we needed Jesus Christ. And as we've got Jesus Christ, as Jesus came and died on the cross for our sins, He came as a liberator, and He came as a law changer, He came as a freedom giver, that now our sin doesn't dictate who we are. Our failures don't make us who we are. Now the grace of Jesus Christ is the only thing that we must claim. That Jesus Christ and His death on the cross is what's given us the strength and power. And here's where we see that the law of grace is powerful. We see that at the end of verse 3. He says that um, the sending of His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. So I want you to see this parallel that Paul paints for us. He says that you are no longer condemned, but rather sin is now condemned. By the law of grace... God has condemned sin, and he set you free from condemnation in one fell swoop. You think about that. And this is the great thing about God, and I use this example all the time, is that God doesn't need what you think he needs to do in your life what he needs to do. Right? Let me me repeat that. God does not need what you think he needs to do what he wants to do in your life. Maybe we think, well, God's got to change my housing situation. He's got to change my financial situation. He's got to change my family situation. He's got to change my work situation. And we think, man, there's this list of things that God's got to do to put me in the situation that He wants to put me in. I know God wants to use me, or I know I want to serve God, but He's got to change this and this and this and this and this. When the reality is God just has to do, in one fell swoop, He can change everything and make everything the way that He wants it in your life. I used to say it this way to teenagers. If I ask Lily to make me a milkshake, Lily's got to have a blender. She's got to have an ice cream. Uh, she's got to have flavoring. She's got to have milk. She's got to have power, right? She's got to have all those things. And then when she uses all those things together, she can make a milkshake. God doesn't function that way. If God wants to make me a milkshake, He can say milkshake there doesn't have to be a blender there doesn't have to be ice cream there doesn't have to be the milk there doesn't have to be the flavoring in your life he doesn't have to do all the prerequisites that you think he has to do just the same that he did in scripture he said here that he took the law of death and sin and he said i condemn sin and in the same motion he rated he freed us from condemnation he changed everything he took what the law was and he said this isn't what you live under anymore you live under grace because Jesus came to die for your sins. And so here, we understand that the law, the, law, the law was weak. The law of sin and death was weak because it relied on sinful flesh. But the law of grace is powerful because it relies on Jesus' perfect sacrifice. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about how if we boast in the Lord, our faith rests in Him. Paul says the same thing here. He says, no longer are you to focus on doing better, on living the way that you think you should live. Your focus has got to fully be on Jesus Christ and living for Him. The law of grace and salvation in Christ is fully the result of His work on the cross. We cannot be good enough. We cannot do enough. We must put our full faith and trust in Him. It's going to be up here on your screen. It's on your your, um, handout as well. Here's what he says. There is nothing you can do. There's no behavior you can start. There's no action you can take. There's no thing that you can do, no amount of money you can give to accept the, the grace of Christ because it's a free gift and the only thing you can do is accept it. It's as simple as that. That's what Paul says. Now I'm, I'm going to say, some of you, I'm going to let you have a breath of fresh air right now. I'm going to relieve you. If you look at your um, outline and you look at the last three points on the previous point, they're exactly the same as on this one. They're not supposed to be there. In fact, they're whited out on my page. So we're jumping down to number three. So there, I just shortened the sermon by like 15 minutes. You should all be very grateful that I made that typo because I thought it was longer than it was going to be, but that's good. There, um, so we're jumping down to number three, and the last thing is this, that Jesus gives a new lifestyle. So Jesus gave a new liberty. Jesus gave a new law. And the third thing that we're given by Jesus is a new lifestyle we look here in chapter number uh, eight verse number four here's what the bible says so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us listen to this who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit do you catch what he said there the chapter before he says that my flesh wars against my spirit my inner man is constantly warring against the flesh but here's what he says that god desires for us To no longer walk in the flesh but to walk in the spirit now is paul calling us to perfection no we know at the end of chapter 7 he said his very self he said i have evil in me now if paul couldn't live the perfect life if peter couldn't live the perfect life if you expect yourself to live the perfect life all you're doing is setting a standard that we could never attain that you can never attain and all you're going to do is lead yourself into frustration and anxiety and depression you're not going to be perfect But what should happen is that your focus should be on the Spirit. Your focus should be on the Spirit. In fact, when you sin, no longer should it send you into depression. It should be a chance to rebuild that relationship with Christ. 1 John 1.9 says this. He says, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, I want you to understand, 1 John is written to Christians. It's written to believers. He says, if we will confess sin... He's faithful. He's going to forgive us of that sin. Here's what it is. In in reality, our life is going to be a constant failure and forgiveness. You look at, at Israel, God's chosen people, all through the Old Testament, that's what you see is this pattern of walking with God, they fall off the trail, God rescues and forgives them, they walk a little way, they fall off the trail, God rescues and forgives them. Listen, we would love to think that we're better than the Israelites, but we're not. Here's where your success is going to come in life. When your natural reaction to sin is to say, I need to get back to Christ. Because if your reaction is, I need to do better, you're following Judas' example. There's no victory there. There's no chance there. There's no hope there. There's no life there. But if you'll follow the example of Peter that said, I have fallen away. I have denied you. I've messed up, but I'm coming straight back to you. That's where spiritual maturity comes from. And you know what starts to happen? Is God starts to change things in your life that you never thought he could change. And God starts to remove some temptations you never thought he'd remove. Now here's the thing. Those temptations you used to have get replaced with new ones. So you're still going to have the war in your members. You're still going to have the war between the spirit and the flesh. But you're going to be able to see, here's a path that God's been sending me on. I want to compare it to this. My wife and I have a good relationship. We love each other. We just celebrated 11 years. But if you ask my wife, is John perfect, I would not want to hear the response. In fact, she would probably be able to answer you in essay form all the imperfections that I have. And they're probably at the tip of her tongue, honestly, because I'm not perfect. But I will tell you this, when I fall short, it bothers me, right? When I am less than the husband that she wants me to be, it bothers me. I used the example a couple weeks ago. I got to live the 10-day bachelor life, which I do not want to do again, by the way, when I sent my daughters and my wife to Georgia, and then I stayed here and took the kids to camp, and then they came back while I was gone. I was, I was home alone for, I think, probably six days is all I was home alone. And I kept telling Leah before I left, I'm going to make the house that's going to be spotless. I'm going to do all these projects. It's going to look so good when you get back. Well, but then it was like 100 degrees, And I had promised I was going to finish this table, so I refinished this table. But this was man thought. It's 100 degrees outside. Why don't I just sand this table inside? It probably couldn't hurt anything. I'll take the shop vac, and I'll vacuum as I sand. You know, it's really hot outside, and it's hard to get this table through the door. Why don't I just finish the edges inside the house, and cut all this side of the wood off, and sand it all down? (laughs) Long story short, When Leah got home, she's like, I'm home. She texted me. I said, hey, is the house worse or better than you thought it would be? And she said, don't ask me that right now. (laughs) That was her response. And she said, I got home. She said, you're one person. How can one person make the mess that you made in our house? And here's the thing. I laugh at it now. But it literally, honestly bothered me that I was not able to live up to the standard that I wanted to for her. Right? I got some tasks done. I got some side jobs done. She was glad about those things. But it bothered me that I had disappointed her. Do you know how our Christian life should look? We're not going to be perfect. But it should bother us when we fall short. It should bother us when we fall short. That's what Paul says here. He says, I war against the flesh. The inner man is warring against the flesh because listen, I want to be what God wants me to be. But I'm going to fall short. Here's what you do. Here's your response. Run back and love him more. It's as simple as that. When I fail my wife, it doesn't drive me away from her. I don't say, well, I'm not going to call you because you're going to be mad at me. Uh, in fact, I kept bugging her that afternoon. After I got over the disappointment that I did not live up to her standard, I asked her about like certain things. She, at one point, she said, what is all this dust everywhere? And so I, had, I think I had a, either a video or a picture of me standing the table in the house. And she's like, what's wrong with you? Like, she's like, I would expect the girls to do that in the house, but I was like, it was 105 degrees. I knew it was a bad idea, but I didn't want to go outside to do it. So, but the point is this. It should drive us back to that relationship. When we fall short, we should go back. And it, there's no way you can make it up to Christ but what he says is if, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So here, I wanna, we'll, we'll finish up real quick. I want to give you your blanks. Um, just so. Actually, I think I gave it to you. Jesus changes the way that we walk. And so I want you to see just throughout Scripture we see this. And this is how I'm going to give the invitation to you. Throughout Scripture we see this theme, walking and dwelling in the Spirit. First we see it in Genesis. Um, it's going to come up there. Yep, there it is. Genesis 5, 24 says, Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. So all the way back in Genesis, we get this theme that we are called to walk with God. Our everyday life should be lived in conjunction, shoulder to shoulder, side by side with God. Next verse that we've got up there is actually going to be Ephesians chapter or Galatians 5, verse 16. The Bible says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, listen to this, but walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out The desire of the flesh here's what he's saying if you're walking in the will of Christ it's a lot harder to sin have you have you ever experienced that in fact if my wife had been in the living room when I was trying to sand the table I probably wouldn't have gotten very far It probably would have been shut down real quick but since she wasn't there and I wasn't in her presence I wasn't walking with Leah I fulfilled the lusts of the John right I I did what I wanted to do and so the same thing's true for you if you're walking with Christ He's going to influence your decisions. Next verse I want us to look at, and this is the key one here, is Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. Listen to this. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Maybe you're here today and you say, I don't know what it means to walk in light. I don't know what it means to go from a child of darkness to a child of light. I don't know what it means to have Christ as my Savior and to be committed to Him. Let me tell you, today would be an excellent day to take those three easy steps to A, B, C. Accept, uh, admit that you're a sinner, that you need Christ, that you've fallen, like Paul says, that you are a wretched man, that you are a wretched woman. Admit that. The next thing he says is B: believe that Jesus came and died on the cross for your sins. And C is the final one, and that's confess that He's the only way to your salvation. All we're doing is saying that I can't do it myself. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that Christ came to die on the cross. And I know that that's the only way that I can have salvation. That's the only way that I can be transformed from darkness to light. And then maybe you're here today and you're on the second side of that. And he says, you were formerly darkness. You've been transformed to light. But now you're in the light. Walk as children in the light. This is the challenge from Paul in Ephesians. If you are light, walk like it. I used to say it to teens this way all the time, and I think it's impactful. I think it's useful. Just be what you say you are. If we're a Christian, if we claim Christ, if we've been changed by Him, just be what you say you are. Say, what do you mean by that? Walk with Christ. You're still going to be imperfect. You're still going to fail. You're still going to have sin. But keep your focus on Jesus Christ. Let's all stand as we pray. Dear Lord, we love you. God, I thank you so much for all the things that you've done in our lives, Lord. I thank you for the gift of salvation. Lord, I thank you for the change that you've made in each and every one of us, God. I thank you for the forgiveness that you offer through Jesus Christ. God, I thank you so much for condemning sin, God, and removing the condemnation of sin from us. God, I pray that you just bless us as we have the invitation today. Lord, if there's anyone here today that's never accepted you, Lord, help them to know that you love them, God, and that you are calling them to yourselves, God. Even as I pray, Lord, I know if you're pulling on somebody's heart, if you're drawing them to yourself, Lord, maybe it's that they're fighting you. God, I pray that you just help them to understand it's so simple, God, that we just must admit that we are sinners, believe that you came to die for our sins, and confess that you're the only way to salvation. God, I pray that you just bless us, draw us closer to you. God, as we fall and as we sin, I pray that you would draw us closer to you in those things as well. God, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. As we sing, I haven't, I haven't invited you to join in the last couple weeks. And I would love for you to be a part of what God's doing here. If you're a believer, you've accepted Christ and you know Him as your Savior, but you've never joined with our church, I want to invite you to be the first one out today to come and join with our fellowship of believers as we sing.